0: If you have a Bible, get ready. We are going to move quickly. Power that sucker on and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Um, I was talking to a couple different families over the last uh, 12 hours here. Any, anybody have any sporting events today? Anybody? Okay, yeah, a few of you. Any of you have some yesterday that you attended with your children or that is going on? I'll tell you, I am convinced that Satan invented AAU sports. I'm convinced of that. I'm going to be sharing a little bit about that uh, this morning. As we talk about, we were going through this 10-week series called Rooted, and this morning we're looking at how do you make the most of your life? Like, if you were to look back in 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or five years, and you wanted to make the most of the time that you have been given, what would that look like? That's at the heart of what I'd like to talk with you this morning about, and it's funny... How we can do this in other areas of our lives. I was thinking about it. Uh, anybody remember like baseball card gum? Any of you out there? Oh yeah. Like Wrigley figured out that, it, that people liked the gum more than the card and so they stopped selling baseball cards and created this chewing gum industry. And I always find it interesting, like I got a pack of uh, like 1989 tops baseball cards in like 2009. And you know it's just so curious to, that you just want to try and see what it's like. You know that it's like 20, 30, now 40 years old or however, and you're going to try it anyway, aren't you? This is a true story. I put it in my mouth, and it just disintegrated on impact, I, and I knew it was going to be disgusting, but I wanted to try and make the most of that little piece of gum, man, because it is so important, so meaningful, Uh, For some of us with our lives, we very rarely look at how can we make the most of it, because most often we're just trying to survive it. And so at the heart of what we're going to look at is Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Philippians, it's one of Paul's last letters. He's writing to the church in Philippi, which got started because of a dream. Uh, We're going to, you're going to hear a little bit more about that next Sunday. As you heard Pastor Luke share, we're only online next week. One of two Sundays a year, we give all our volunteers a break. Can we thank the volunteers for the many, many who will be serving in the kids area, the First Impressions, the Esther team. I mean, there's literally like eight Sunday morning teams. So we give them all a break on Memorial Day weekend because the Lord loves the Indy 500 as well. And we are praying. No, in seriousness, we love to give our volunteers a break, and we also love to use it as a way to promote our online campus. So get online at mercyroad.tv at our normal service times and help promote what's going online. We already did a special teaching that we're putting together to share with you. Uh, The service will be live, but the video is recorded next Sunday at 945 and 1115. Okay, here we go. Paul is writing this, like I said, to the church in Philippi around 60 A.D., And he's writing probably in a jail cell. He's seen God show up in his life, and yet things aren't going so hot right now. You been there in life? And he writes this in verse 12 of chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of the Little League trophy. Oh, no. Of the AAU medal. No, no, no. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Will you pray with me? God, this morning we're wrestling with this question of how we make the most of the life that we have been given. God, I pray that right now many of us walked in here, some of us for the first time. Some of us we would never walked in a church space in years or ever. God, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now. We ask through these verses of scripture that you speak directly to our hearts and what's going on in our lives, that it becomes relevant and true to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. So like to go to a first grade basketball game, for some of you, that is old news, but that's what I spent four hours doing yesterday was going to uh, AAU Sports. And I'll tell you, after having done that, not only do I wonder, did Satan create that, I've also realized that for some of you, that's old news. For me, it's new news. And I can remember when my seven-year-old, I was changing his diaper and taking care of him. Isn't it funny how life works sometimes? Some of you, your children are now taking care of you. Some of you, your kids have gone off to college and are looking at their own career path. Some of you are having children for the very first time. Some of you are the children, and you look at your parents differently today than you did 10 or 15 years ago. Life moves fast, doesn't it? We ask the question, I'm going to put it on the screen, how do you make the most of your life that you have been given? You see, Psalm 39.5 says this in the Old Testament about life. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. I've got this mason jar up here, and I've realized that for many of us, we don't understand the brevity of life. We often think that the most valuable thing we have is our possessions. Or maybe it's the talents and abilities or our power and authority that we have been given. And yet if you talk to most people about what they worry about the most losing as they age in life, it's not so much the money they had or they lost. It's not so much the careers that they loved or did not love, but it's the time. It always seems to move fast. And I've thought about this this week, how for most of us, if the Bible compares life to like a breath... We spend most of our life in our Instagram culture trying to save what little memories of life that we could, right? Like, bear with me for an analogy this morning. It's almost like for most of us, we spend most of our life and then we try and bottle it up as quickly as we can and put that lid on it so that we don't lose any of it, right? And then we spend the remainder of our hours like looking at it. Wow, do you see that? See that life in there? That's awesome. Guys, quick, get some pictures of this, right? Snapchat this really quickly so our followers can see. We spend a majority of our life trying to capture what little breath of life that we have and hold on to it and remember it and look at it, see pictures of it, see videos of it, spend our time talking about what other people have in their jars and what we don't have in our jars. And yet No matter how much we try and capture life, it never seems to be the fulfilling thing that we hoped it would be, right? Like, even when you accomplish the very thing you were hoping to accomplish, and you look back on it, it's great memories, but it's never quite as great as you had hoped it would be. See, here's what I want to share with you through this passage this morning, is that for most of us, we need to stop... We need to stop trying to capture life and remembering fleeting moments because it passes so quickly. And instead, begin to relish the years we've been given on this planet to make the most of it as we possibly could. And did you catch what it said in Philippians 3? Not make the most of it so that we can have a great career or our kids can have a trophy but to make the most of it because we realize we are called heavenward by Christ Jesus that's at the heart of what I want to share i thought it important to define what making the most of your life as a christian actually looks like <clears throat> excuse me so here's what we're going to do we're going to move really quickly if you're taking notes i got three simple points who would imagine a pastor three notes three points this morning about how to make the most of your life three ways to begin make, begin making the most of your life number 1 it's going to be the hardest one for some of you You need to stop looking back. Stop looking back. We're going to move really quickly because at the end of this morning, I'm going to share why most of us never do these things. And we're going to hear from somebody who's attempting to live these out. But some of you this morning need to stop looking back. In verse 12 of Philippians 3, it said, Not that I have already obtained all this or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Paul is in a prison cell, and he's not looking back at the good old days, right? If you were in a prison cell, and you had got to see God show up and do miraculous things before, but that isn't happening right now, wouldn't you be talking about the good old days? And yet he says, I press on to take hold of that which Christ gave me. He's not quitting. He goes on in verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Let's go deep this morning. You want to go deep? You see, at the heart of what Paul is getting at in this passage is he is differentiating that he has not perfected his faith yet. There is a phrase that historically Christians have used to talk about perfected faith, and it's this fancy word called sanctification. Anybody ever heard of that before? That means that you have perfected your faith this side of heaven, that you have literally been sanctified And for some of us, we are unfamiliar with these terms, that sanctification is that we are perfected righteousness, but justification is that we have salvation. So for some of you this morning, you have been justified with Christ, you have salvation, but you have not been perfected in your righteousness yet. Would you agree with that? Now, there was a guy named John Wesley. Some of you ever heard of him? He helped start the Methodist Church. The Methodist church spread rapidly all over the American culture, and it happened mostly because the Methodists did not require people to go out and get an advanced degree like the Episcopalians and other denominations did, and they empowered all believers to take the gospel to people. We believe that's how churches should look and should operate, that we should empower all believers to fulfill what God is calling them to. However, in this passage, See, John Wesley believed that while most of us aren't, that you could be sanctified this side of heaven. I told you we're going deep this morning. That you could be perfected this side of heaven because the Holy Spirit is in you. I want to tell you that I don't know whether Wesley is right or wrong, but I do know that in this passage, I don't think Paul was a very good Wesleyan. Because in this passage, Paul does not seem to think that he could be perfected this side of heaven. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. that even though he has mistakes in his life, he's going to strain forward, go forward to try and live out the good news of Jesus. So that means for some of you here this morning or watching online that you've been struggling in a particular area of your life and you feel guilty about it. Right? Like you feel bad. Paul says, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to become stagnant in my faith because things aren't going well for me right now. I'm going to strain on towards the goal of Christ Jesus. What does that look like in your life that you are justified before Christ? You are going to heaven eternally, but you're not perfected yet. It's frustrating, isn't it? Like, I was thinking about this. I mentioned that basketball for a particular reason. I, I went to this sporting event and it was so funny how at a first grade basketball tournament where there are seventh or seven year seven-year-olds. Seven-year-olds playing the game of basketball, how suddenly I thought it was like the NBA finals. And like an angry kid that's not getting the candy at the candy store, man, I was screaming and yelling because those referees, they just could not see. I don't know what was wrong with their eyes, but mine were perfected, and I wanted them to understand the errors of their ways. You been there? Right? Like, and all of a sudden, I realized that I've known Jesus for a really long time now, And I get into certain environments and you would think that I knew nothing about Christ's life. And after the yelling and screaming, did you see, how could you even call that? That's ridiculous. You must, there's something wrong with you. You've been talking to Satan. I know it. He created this whole event today just to get at me, right? And we can't see beyond what's really going on. Remember we talked about last week that our battle is not with other people. It's actually with our enemy, and that's a spiritual one. And it was so ironic as I wrestled with that, um, how I can know the truth of that and yet not live it out. You see, uh, the second point I was hoping to make this morning is that some of us, we need to start maturing in our faith. I don't like that word. Maturing in our faith. You remember when you're kids and there was always the guy that was like the, the real mature guy? You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're, you and your friends are like having fun and goofing off and then they come, oh, real mature. Real mature, Josh, real mature, right? I always hated that guy. Like I, I wanted to have fun and then there was something too. But I, I've realized from a spiritual sense, Uh, Jesus isn't standing there going, oh, real mature guys, real mature. Oh, thanks, dude. It's not going to help, but thanks, Rob Elder, for being up here this morning and bringing me some water. That's very kind. (laughs) I took a decongestant this morning, and it did wonders to my vocal cords, so you're the lucky ones that get to suffer from that. Um, Here's what I do want to share with you, though. That real mature guy, that's not Jesus telling you that. In fact, there's a little bit of irony here from Paul in this passage, and it is this. In verse 15, he says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. It's almost like he has a little bit of sarcasm here because mature, in the King James version, it had always been translated perfect. You can leave that verse up there, verse 15, that to be mature meant to be perfect. Scholars say it's Paul's use of irony. He includes himself, we who are perfect, Philippians, though, has a little bit of a different uh, definition here that mature is really about not quitting and continue to growing closer to Christ. He says it in verse 16. He says, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. That God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained That for us, there has to be this maturing of our faith. If for 50 years we continue down the same path, we are missing out on what it means to be Christian. To be Christian means to follow Christ. I'm not telling you you're not justified and have eternal salvation. Remember, we differentiated that. But I am telling you that through this life, we get the opportunity to grow in holiness and begin to mature in our faith. Now, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? You see, Paul defines that in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You actually won't attain full maturity in your faith if you do it alone. Isolated Christianity actually is very unbiblical because you don't get the full nature of of Jesus Christ. You only get parts of the body of Christ. But the point I'd like to make for this morning's message in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature, and here's how we become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So to mature in Christ means not just that you have eternal salvation, but that you actually become Christ-like. Now, I gotta tell you, I've met a lot of people who want to be mature in our faith, who don't wanna become Christ-like. Because becoming more Christ-like is hard. It means when you're at a first grade AAU basketball tournament, you don't have to yell at the referees because they call all the calls wrong. Now in my freedom in Christ, I may say that was the wrong call, sir. That was not correct, you have bad eyes. But a mature Christian can see beyond my spiritual battle is not with that individual human being. You see, the attaining spiritual maturity, J. Oswald Chambers, some of you have heard of him, says this, viewed from another angle, spiritual maturity is simply Christ-likeness. We are as mature as we are like Christ and no more. We are mature as we are like Christ and no more. Man, that's scary, isn't it? That's really scary. And I can just tell you firsthand that I feel like such a failure sometimes like that. So if you're here this morning and you're wanting to make the most of your life, I wanna inspire you. I wanna tell you that you can. You need to stop looking back at your past. I wanna tell you that you can grow up spiritually. And when you take two steps forward, you may take one step back, but you can grow up in your faith. I have seen God bring freedom in certain areas. But I wanna tell you that being mature in Christ this morning, that you, even if you feel like you are so immature in Christ, right? Like you are so far from what Christ-likeness looks like, you can still today begin to make the most of your life. That's part of the maturing process. Will you welcome Teresa Powie as she comes up here? Now literally, as I had been prepping this week for this message, I talked to Teresa and I heard her share her testimony at a women's event a couple of months ago. And I gotta tell you, it is one of the, uh, the harder testimonies I've ever heard. There are about 12 different people's stories all in her one life. And you're going to hear from somebody this morning that if you're like, you don't understand what's in my past. I, I keep looking back because it's a mess. If you're here this morning, you're saying like, I don't feel like I could really, really make the most of my life to live for Christ because I've made a lot of mistakes. And the truth is, I'm very immature in my faith. You're going to hear from somebody this morning that is choosing to look forward as Paul did, despite what's in the past. One more time. Will you welcome Teresa?
1: Thank you. Um, I was a public speaker for 15 years, and this is the hardest thing I've ever done. So I grew up one of seven children to immigrant parents who were very strict and very devout Catholics. And so it was in that 12 years of Catholic school education that I learned about Jesus, and I fell in love with him. But my idea of Jesus didn't look like a father. He looked more like Santa Claus in the sky. Because I knew that he could give good gifts, but I also imagined that he had this big ledger of all the times when I was naughty and when I was nice. And my belief was that I couldn't go to Jesus when I was naughty. I I only could go to him when I was nice. When I was seven, I began suffering from severe depression. And I would, um, my nightly prayer would be that God would take me in my sleep and let me wake up in the morning with Jesus in heaven. And um, every morning I would wake up in my bed, and I'd be disappointed. And I didn't understand God at all, because the nuns had told me that Jesus wanted to spend eternity with me in heaven, and here I was, willing and ready to go, and he wouldn't take me. And so the only conclusion I had was that he didn't want to really be with me at all. Um, I had a difficult childhood, and I started, um, in, as a young woman, I started looking to relationships to, build the, to fill the voids that I had in my life. And even though I called myself a Christian, over the years, I had entered into three different marriages that were not rooted in Christ at all. What they were rooted in were commitments that we made to each other that we also chose to break to each other. And that's the lie. That's part of the lie that we have in this world is that we have this fundamental right to be happy and comfortable all the time. And if we're not, then in our strength, we should leave those situations. And I was very strong. By the time I was in my early 30s, I had gone through a period of time where there was a lot of loss in my life. My mother was diagnosed with cancer, and within five weeks she was dead. My second husband and my best friend both left my life at the same time. My employer, um, I was running a division of a company, and my employer sold that division, and I was unemployed, and I didn't know it at first, but that was going to last almost a year, which was devastating to me because I had really come to identify myself by my career at that point in my life. Then my father passed away before I could express to him the anger I felt towards him. I was about to lose my house, and so I rented it out, and I moved to Indianapolis, where I didn't really know very many people. I had a former coworker. I slept on her couch, and my depression was raging. And every day I would get out of bed, and I would make myself do those things on my checklist that I had to do to get a job. And then the rest of the time, I would just cry out to God, I don't understand why you won't take this pain away from me or why you won't make my life easier. In that crying out to God, though, I also wanted him to be really proud of me because I was being so strong and I was being so good and I was surviving my life. And I needed credit for that. And I thought that I could earn my way to God's blessings. Eventually, I found a job. I got an apartment. I was in that apartment for three weeks. It was the day that I hung the last picture on the wall and I had just finished decorating and I felt like my life was back on track and I went to bed that night and when I woke up at three o'clock in the morning, there was a man at the foot of my bed and he had a knife. And I thought that he was there to rob me, but I was wrong. After the attack, I went to see a Catholic priest and I said, what do you think God's trying to tell me? And he said, I don't know, but you need to get into some counseling. It took being a rape survivor for it to be okay for me to seek counseling because I thought I was supposed to be strong and counseling to me seemed a sign of weakness. But I went to counseling, best thing that could have ever happened to me, and I'd gained the tools to deal with my depression. I didn't know that not everybody felt that way all the time. And I started to rebuild my life. And all this time, God was trying to get me to look at him. It wasn't in my strength that I was moving forward. It was in his strength. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that he was carrying me. So I rebuilt my life. And I put God on a shelf along with the other things that were important to me. My career, money, relationships, and religion. (laughs) Equally important. (sighs) So it wasn't surprising that 15 years later I found myself walking away from my third marriage. I was miserable and I felt very unloved. But because a Christian pastor named Rick Warren took the time to write a book He taught me something I'd never heard before. I did not know this, but he taught me that God doesn't actually exist to serve me. That I was actually created to glorify him, and that was new information to me. And it changed my relationship with him, and it changed the way I talked to him, and it made me, for the first time in my life, want to listen to him and hear his voice. I began to read and study the word for the first time in my life and what I heard was a calling, a calling to service. I heard God tell me to go be a nurse. Now I'd had a 25-year business career at that point and anybody who knew me, like nursing, was not on my radar. So um, nobody could understand this decision, but I was called so I went to nursing school. I worked full-time I went to school full-time, and at the very beginning of that journey, before my third divorce was even final, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, (laughs) reached out and said, listen, I just knew you'd want to know this, but your ex-husband, your soon-to-be ex-husband is really happy because he met the perfect woman. And that conversation lasted three hours. And at the end of that conversation, I was just a shell of myself. I was devastated, and I didn't understand. I took the weight of every failed relationship I'd ever had onto my own shoulders. And I knew that nobody would ever love me. I fell into bed, and I cried out to the Lord. And I asked him, please, to take this pain away. But at the same time, I asked him, please, use me. Anything. I'll do anything for you, Lord. And for the first time in my life, I meant that. And at that moment, I experienced a miracle, a healing. There is just no other way to say it. Um, God lifted this veil of depression that I'd had for 40 years. I call it now my 40 years in the desert. My 40 years were over. I felt this peace of the Holy Spirit enter me, and as it did, the depression just left. And that was 10 years ago, and I have not had a moment of depression since then. It is not easy for me to stand in front of a room full of Christians and talk about my failed marriages. But I think that's the point, isn't it? (laughs) I can't talk about God's redemption in my life without also sharing with you, who I am and what I did, and that Jesus forgave me, and that he saved me. A really wise friend of mine just recently said to me, Hey, Teresa, don't waste the suffering. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for the suffering, for the marriages that failed, for the depression, for the attack, for God wiping away everything I held on to so dearly in my life. So that in my emptiness, I could seek him and find him in all of his glory. I believe that the Lord wants me to share my story with people. Not when I'm a better Christian, not when I have all the answers, and not when I know the Bible better. But right now, right now, so that he can use me just as I am. A sinner saved by grace.
0: Yes, that was so brave to come up here and share. And I know that some of you have gone through parts of those things, right? She went through all of those things. And it would be so easy for Teresa or for many of us this morning to just sit there and look, feel good about some things, feel regret about other things, feel shame about some things, feel anger about some things. And instead, I believe the heart of this passage that Paul is getting at is he's in a prison cell in Rome. He's been through some of the worst parts of his career, so to speak, in ministry. And he says, I'm not going to look at the past anymore. I'm going to press on to take hold of that which Christ has given me. I'm going to learn to Stop looking back. Mature in my faith. And the final one, to realize that we're not from here. You know, as I was talking to Teresa this week, all this came up was she's begun to say, this is my past. How can God use that for the future to impact other people? And some of that may have been in this room right now. That you look at the story and the witness that she just shared to you, and you know you know that you've got some stuff that you have just not worked through and not wrestled with, not allowed Christ to engage that area of your life. And all of that for Teresa as we began to talk was she feels no confidence in necessarily the things that she could accomplish, but because she knows Christ Jesus, he's the one that has brought healing. And that doesn't always happen to everybody. She talked about that. If you prayed and you're suffering from depression, it doesn't mean it's instantly gone. But for her, it did and the things that she can give credit to in her life would be the things that Jesus did i believe that's that's at the heart of philippians in verses uh, 17 to 21 in chapter 3 to realize that we're not from here paul says some live as enemies of the cross of christ indulging wickedness but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. You see, the breath of life is so fleeting. So fleeting. It it is one day, it seems like you're going to high school and the next day you're sending kids there. And then you wake up one day, right, and some of the the hairline is not as far down the forehead as it used to be. Parts of our bodies don't hang the same way that they always did. We begin to see things in the reflection in the mirror and it's like, how did I get into my father's body? Like, how is that physically possible? And it happens to everybody. And it never fails, right? You can talk to people that are, maybe you're in your 70s, and, and you look around, and when you think of the older generation, most of them have passed now. And it's hard for us to comprehend, and for people in my life stage, it's hard for us to comprehend that we are older than those people that just graduated college sometimes. Like, each of us have things in our lives that seems here one day and gone the next, But the time that we have been given, we can sit here and wallow in the past and the mistakes that we've made, or we can celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ, as Teresa has just shared with you, she is doing, and now is going to use that to share and minister to other people who have encountered the same obstacles in their lives that she has encountered. You want to make the most of your life? Begin to realize that your citizenship is in heaven and this fleeting life that you give is not made to acquire things. It's not made to bring you glory, unfortunately. It's not even made so that you can be a kind person. It is made so that you could serve God with the short time that you have been given because you realize your citizenship is in heaven and Jesus Christ will return one day and will take those who know him to be with him eternally. And what we've done with this life now matters. It's why we shared with you last week a family that used their whole inheritance to buy a farm in another country where there aren't many Christians to go there and minister to people. It's why there are people here that have chosen to minister to demographics of our culture that they're not even from because they want to love people so Well, you see, you may just think that you were created so that hopefully you can be a good person and go to heaven. I want to tell you that you were created so you could be redeemed by Christ and use this fleeting life that we've been given to do more than just take some Instagram photos and some Snapchats. But to actually see God use your life to make the most of the time that you have been given. We do it in other areas. Why don't we do it in the most important one? And some of you, you've got 80 years left and some of you, you got less than that some of us much less, but God is not done with you. There is no retirement from serving God in our lives. What does it look like for you to make the most of the short time that you have been given with the past that you got? Stop looking back, begin to mature in your faith, realize your citizenship is in heaven and say, God, use me, it's time. We pray with me, Lord Jesus Man, I I get so fired up about this as I was talking to Teresa this week and just her passion for you. Her passion to begin to share uh, her story with others. To see people have their lives changed just as she did. God, like Paul in that prison cell, that we would give everything not to just talk about the past or try and capture some short memories but to live in the moment to serve those far from God, to serve those who are in need. God, there are some of us in this room right now, we have been to churches before, we have known about you for a really long time, but if we look at the, 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 the makeup of our life, none of it has to do with how we make the most of the time that we have been given so that when we get to heaven, we can see all the ways that you used our lives. And so maybe there are some sleeping giants of the faith again here this morning who want to stop sitting in the pews and want to start getting up and making a difference with our lives. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. This isn't to commit your life to the Lord for the first time. Those, this is for those who are Christians that you want to take that next step of faith that maybe God is calling you to minister to somebody that's hard. Maybe God is calling you to start a new ministry to reach out to others, to make an impact with the life that you have been given. And you don't even know how yet, but you want to do that. And you feel like you're not good enough. You still got some sin and mistake in your life. I want to tell you that that's each of us and you will only grow in your faith as you begin to serve him. And so pray this with me. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I want my life to have more meaning and purpose. I desire to make the most of the time that I have been given on this planet. Whether it's one day, a thousand days, or many, many decades, I surrender everything in my life, my time, my talents, my treasures, to fulfill your kingdom purpose. I give it all to you. And if you call me to take a leap of faith this morning, to take a risk, maybe you are calling some people in this room right now to go be a missionary to another country. Maybe you're calling some of the people in this room to be a missionary to their neighbors. Maybe you're calling some of the people in this room to just get up out of the seat and begin to serve others rather than ourselves. God, pray this with me. I give you everything. Clarify that calling, and until I fully understand it, help me to serve you in the small ways in my life. Use me, Lord Jesus. I'm yours. God, we thank you for your presence here, and we just worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen.